Everybody, and welcome to the Fickle Fanboy. Cause <laughs> here we go again. Uh, if you're just tuning in for the first time, uh, or even even just the first time in a while, the last few episodes, I've been slowly building what I like to call the Star Wars saga through the eyes of a fanboy. <laughs> Let's see here. Well, I started with, of course, uh, The Phantom Menace. And then, obviously, I, I went and followed that up with Attack of the Clones through the eyes of a fanboy. Uh, and now, huh, it's time for Revenge of the Sith through the eyes of a fanboy. But before we get to that, I'll catch you up just as quick as I can. Okay? Because so far... All it's really been is the uh, life story of Anakin Skywalker. And really, that's all the prequels are. You know, that's really all it is. So, focusing on him, um, let's see here. It's, it's a tale as old as time. Boy is born. Uh, boy is sold with mother into slavery. Boy meets girl. Boy is trained as Jedi. Doesn't see girl for many, many years. Boy suddenly gets to meet girl again. Way down the road as a teenager. They fall in love. He's then tasked with keeping her safe. He continues to make her totally uncomfortable with a, a whole lot of <laughs> strange glaring and Chester the Molester kind of looks. and. Eh, just a lot of different little things that he says that eh, would creep anybody out. But yeah, he's then charged, as I said, with keeping her safe. And in doing so, he's reunited with his mother somehow for all of about a poop fart. And then his mother dies right in his arms. He kills a complete village of her captors. He goes running into the arms of said girl that he has now fallen in love with. 
He admits his crime to her. She kind of blows it off. Says, eh, it happens. They go to save the third wheel in the relationship from being devoured by several giant aliens in some kind of Roman Colosseum type thing. And that's it. They marry, and here we are. And I've just caught you up on really all that's important in the last two movies. You know, I mean, yeah, there was something about clones in the last one. Uh, a mysterious clone army. And then, uh, you know, uh, there was Jar Jar and Qui-Gon and, and all that. Uh, Midichlorians. And, but, like I said, all that I've just run through is all that was really important in the movies. All that you'll really need to know going forward. Because that other crap <laughs> is exactly that. Crap. So, here we are. <laughs> Yippee. All right. Because the Sith have had their revenge. And now, <laughs> I think it's well overdue time that we have ours. So, what do you say? Because all this time later, and I still have no idea how any of the prequels did as well as they did in the theaters. But, screw all that. Because, well, it's time to get down to business. Because we've damn near made it through the dark and gloomy forest. And we're, we're just a stone's throw away from the nerdy promised land. Okay? So, Let's throw that stone, shall we? Because I don't know about you, but I'm tired of waiting. Because, like I said, we're in the last few steps on the path that ruined just over half a decade of our lives. And it's, it's because of that that, as we've taken these steps, I wish that I could say that Fanboy Geek Rule number 1257, stating that the prequels just suck, is flawed, and you know, possibly even wrong. And while I could technically say that, because well, I'm the one that made up the rule just now, I still won't say that. You know, I just can't. I, I, I can't. I won't lie to you like that. And why? Well, not because I like you. I mean, I do, but that's, that's, not, that's not why. It's because, well, as Obi-Wan says in A New Hope, when it comes to the prequels, you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. Because as it pertains to the prequels, boy, did he say a mouthful there. But you know what? Yeah, he, he's right. Because simply put, and it pains me to say this, but the Star Wars prequels are to cinematic history what most Eisley is to intergalactic spaceports. You know, it's where all the underbelly, uh, just horrible, horrible creatures just 
evil, villainous creatures. <laughs> it's where they all hang out. You know? <laughs> uh, minus Han, that's what Mos Eisley was, and shit. That's what all the prequels were. Because Revenge of the Sith, beyond being a play on the original working title for Return of the Jedi, which at one time was actually titled Revenge of the Jedi, <laughs> before George just realized that, huh, you know, revenge isn't something that uh, the Jedi would be interested in. You know? But beyond that, beyond being a, a, a play on that uh, working title, Revenge of the Sith is a sci-fi slapstick pile of rotten, steaming, toxic waste. Uh, shit. <laughs> what I meant to say is, <laughs> it's a 2005 film written and directed by George Lucas. Which is another way of saying that whole pile of rotten, steaming, toxic waste thing. But yeah, it, once again, it was written and directed by George, who himself laid the woodwork out long before it was ever really needed, as he drew from a wide range of sources, you know, such as the political world, to enhance his story's impact, only to forget <laughs> much of what inspired him as, as the years went on. So he just decided to X-wing it, you know? But, yeah, uh, the fact that <laughs> he couldn't remember most of what he had originally come up with uh, didn't do much more than force him to really eventually kind of burn said woodwork and make things up as he went along. And this perfect example of why improvisation in movies is not always such a good thing is the sixth film released in the Star Wars saga, but is the third in terms of the series' own chronological order. And... If you ask me, it is also the biggest cinematic letdown in history. And that's sad to say, seeing as episodes one and two pretty much just spat right on the mythos and, and uh, all the subtext from all the original films. So, it's, it's because of that that... Our expectations for this one were at an all-time low, to say the least, you know, to put it nicely. Especially when you consider that this is the first time a Star Wars movie made a PG-13 rating. Uh, unless you were in Quebec, where it rustled up. More of a deserving G rating, you know, which, uh, so I, I think that uh, those, those in Quebec, <laughs> who, whoever's in charge of that kind of crap there, well, <laughs> they, they knew their shit, because 
the rating it got here in the States <laughs> meant that what we were meant to see wasn't suitable for anyone 12 years of age or younger. But what we ended up getting wasn't suitable for anybody. Because if it really had deserved that kind of rating, even for, for the time, imagine what could have been, you know? <laughs> imagine what we, we were meant to have gotten. But unfortunately, no matter how high or low uh, anybody's expectations might have been, they <laughs> they weren't low enough. Because I like to refer to this uh, catastrophic ending uh, as a piece de resistance. You know, I, I like to say that eh, when you boil it down to everything, <laughs> uh, this one film represents the moment when computer animation stopped impressing, and just started being cartoony and hokey. As Lucas began writing the script, you know, even before production started, even before it ever began, when it premiered on May 15th of 05 at the Cannes Film Festival, in France, and uh, as it had its general release about four days later, well, <laughs> for months at that point, as the bits and pieces of the story that we were allowed to know were slowly fed to us as the film was already shoved down our throats thanks to deals with the likes of Kellogg's and 7-Eleven and Pepsi and God knows who else. As he began writing the script, and, and as the months went on, both to, to the release at the film festival and, and even the general public release, throughout that whole time, for the first time <laughs> since Phantom, I had hope. And yeah! The, the whole time that uh, I had hope <laughs> before Phantom <laughs> had ultimately been squashed when I saw Phantom, but eh, I, was, I was willing to let bygones be bygones, you know? And for the first time in, a, in a, what seemed like forever, I had hope that this movie <laughs> could, and, and if I was lucky... <laughs> probably would focus on the final stages of Anakin's transitions to Darth Vader. And it, it wasn't so much the fact that that was what was going to happen that gave me hope, because, yeah, that, that's what happened. But it was, it was the implications and the anticipation of how much Vader are we going to get? I mean, there, there was just, there was so many things unanswered. So many questions. <laughs> but yeah, when coupled with things like that and, 
just, just so many other factors, such as my hope that uh, there might have been even less Jar Jar this time than there was during, shit, even Attack of the Clones, let alone Phantom Menace. You know, all these questions and all these implications and and all these factors. Yeah, th- this was this alone was enough to give me at least just a slight bit of my faith back. Yeah, I mean, and sure, you know, I ended up losing it uh, in 2015, but eh, whatever. Because, uh, well, I mean, let's face it. Let's face it. Uh, I I didn't just lose my faith in 2015. Because the moment that this fucker was released, uh, that that faith that I had eh, didn't didn't stick around very long. In fact, when it comes to the hopes and, and uh, the holding on to to everything that this franchise once meant to me. Uh, that would all soon be replaced by fear. And, of course, fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. And hmm, hate leads to the dark side. Uh, And, you know, so I guess you could say that I've been living in the dark side for quite some time. But that's fine by me. It's a way of life now. And besides... We get cookies and juice on Wednesdays, so yeah, it's it's all good. But yeah, <sighs> fear leads to all that. Indeed it does. And if there was a bright center of the universe, uh, once uh, May 15th rolled around, we were all of a sudden on the planet farthest from it. Because shortly after this defiant refusal to learn from past careless mistakes was released on the, uh, unfortunately unassuming public. Because I say unfortunately, but eh, we should have been assuming some shit. You know, I mean, we, we can't be put through what we were put through and just... Eh, Go on about our business like nothing happened. (laughs) The fact that we didn't assume anything is almost as sad as the prequels are altogether. And almost as sad as this movie. But uh, when this movie showed up, the only ones that would be suffering would be the fans. As they and I would come to realize that from 1999 on down the line so far, these and eh, a little bit that came even before it. Oh, shit, I'll say 1997. Uh, from then until right about now, uh, I guess you could say that, eh, fuck, it all has stood hand in hand. <laughs> For roughly about 20 years now, with just about anything that Michael Bay has ever done as shining examples of why I will never again trust 
what a movie critic says or what a movie director or writer or actor uh, ever promises for as long as I live. Because this so-called blockbuster looks and sounds the same way a, a violent case of mudbutt feels as it helps its brethren totally backtrack and rewrite anything we know or have ever known about Anakin being seduced by the dark side or uh, shit. Just about, well, most of anything that the originals ever tried to teach us. And instead, <laughs> it pretty much just goes about showing him as a big giant jerk from, from the get-go, as we never really see the good in him past uh, about age eight, seven, six, shit, I don't know. But coincidentally, <laughs> whatever age he was, that is about the time that he started hanging around the Jedi so damn much. So, uh, you gotta kind of connect the dots. <laughs> the fact that, that the moment that they enter his life is when he slowly, slowly inches towards the dark side. Ah, uh, dink. <laughs> I think not. But yeah... If anything, these these movies serve as a perfect example, a perfect, marvelous example of what the films of Marvel Studios have taught us about how one compensates for not having a story or anything that the uh, audience might actually be able to emotionally hang on to, as it takes the once classic franchise and painfully uh, whittles it down to a, a cash-grabbing bit of nonsense. Because sure, this, this film is, is the first Star Wars movie rated PG-13, as it is filled with Murder, and hate, and betrayal, pain, and sadness, and all the, the fun things that are just uh, heartwarming, you know? I mean, it's, it's a family film if I've ever seen one. But yeah, sure, you know, and yeah, you might think that equals out to mean that this time, would be different than the last two, and that no one in the world could screw such an amazing equation up, you know? <laughs> and, and you might be under the impression that <laughs> eh, the stuff that we had really been waiting for <laughs> this whole time <sighs> was finally here, but <sighs> you'd be wrong. And yeah, yeah, I'll admit that Revenge broke several box office records of its time and, and went on to earn uh, over $800 million worldwide. Uh, damn near 
$850 million, just short of it, making it the second highest grossing film in the franchise. And yeah, yeah, I'll even concede to the fact that it was the second highest grossing film of the whole damned year worldwide. However, even though Hollywood tells us that eh, cash must mean success, don't let the giant-sized influx of printed dead presidents fool you, okay? Because in this day of going green, Star Wars is actually what I like to call an evergreen franchise. And yeah, as I've said before, evergreen means basically that no matter what, it will forever make that gorgeous pile of green, you know, and tons of it. But yet, my theory on the massive amount of cash that it raked in is... Frankly, this, <laughs> we all must have somehow, for some reason or another, I, I, I can't help but just chalk it up to, we must have just felt some sort of obligation to sit through uh, whatever they gave us, just so the, the first two times wouldn't be in vain. And if that's really the only reason that you're listening to this now, you know, any other time might be different, but eh, this go-around, if that's the only reason that you went and pushed the play button, I won't fault you one damn bit, okay? Because, yeah, yeah, I'll admit that eh, probably about, oh, eh, 15 to $20 of, of the shit ton of cash that it made was mine. You know, I'll give it that. Maybe even close to 30 bucks once, once you add in concessions and all for both go-arounds. But if that's really one of the bigger reasons that it enjoyed such a, a glorious opening and... An astounding full run, you know? Well, that I could almost... I could almost take, you know? Shit. I'd almost be relieved, personally. Because if this is what most saw as a good movie back then, or, shit, if Force Awakens and... And, and even most of the Marvel movies, uh, you know, if, if all that is what most see as, as a good movie nowadays. Oh, fuck. I just, I don't know what to do. Because in that case, I have absolutely no hope for the future of of humanity or its its survival. But other than the fact that 
this gobbledygook was cut down significantly from its its original, rumored to be near four-hour form. The only other good part about being this far in at this stage of my reviews of all of these movies is that, hell, we're at the halfway point, you know, which means it's it's all downhill from here, folks, because it, it's going to be easy-peasy lemon-squeezy, because all we've got left after this is the originals, so hot damn. So let's get to the film itself so that we can just get this sucker done and over with. Sound good? Because, ah, worry not. Ah, the end of the suffering is nigh, my friends. Or at least I hope it is. Whatever nigh means. Because for the millions of us that fell for this all over again, you know, originally, when it first came out, as we sat down on that May night and the lights went down in order for the, the darkness to submit to, to the start of that ever-present John Williams score and the, the annoying, well, at this point it was kind of annoying anyway, a little text crawl, you know, that tag team of of both the music and uh, having to read just a little bit before we get to the action. This indeed would be a day long remembered. But, eh, to be fair, I kind of say that every time a Star Wars movie comes out. But yeah, we'd remember. And it wouldn't just be a day long remembered. It would be a day that we would forever regret as we all sort of eh, died a little inside as we worried about whether or not we'd been duped once more only to yet again be fed the same old thing. Then again, eh, you know, to, to give it its due, this may be uh, the first time and the only time that uh, the beginning of one of these little bastards is fully explained in the text crawl while leaving eh, no questions whatsoever at the onset. So, if I gotta say anything nice about this fucker, I'll say that. Because at least there were no questions about the first eh, 15 to 25 minutes or so. As uh, little spider-like buzz droids crawled all over Obi-Wan's ship and Kenny Baker's R2-D2. But after that shit, all bets are off. And it's just as bright and shiny as ever. So eh, at that point, my stomach got a little queasy as I began to fear the worst. <laughs> But yeah, it, this thing has a, a record-breaking approximate uh, 2,200 visual effects shots yeah, in, in this one film alone. As those gorgeous backdrops of, of the live action and, 
and on-location film shots yeah, that uh, had taken place in, in 2003's principal photography in places like Switzerland and China serve as pretty much just that. Backdrops. But the rest of it, you thought that the, the CGI pair was bad. Well, you ain't seen nothing yet, because like I said, this thing is chock full of over uh, at least 2,000 uh, visual effects shots. And CGI visual effects altogether. And the sad part about it is, with them all, is pretty much little else. <laughs> is, uh, we, we pretty much get nothing more. As all actual filming that mattered was, was done in blue screen, infested studios. <laughs> Located, eh, like I said, not in China or, or Switzerland, <laughs> but uh, in Australia with more visual effects than the Phantom Menace and uh, Attack of the Clones combined. So, shoot me now. I mean, we got that going for us. Because you know, for, a, for a point of comparison, A New Hope only had a fraction of, of that at about just over 300, maybe even close to 350. Uh, such shots with any semblance of of uh, those kind of visual effects, or at least what they had in that day. So yeah, you know, if you haven't seen the film though, eh, consider yourself lucky. And if you actually decide to see the film or have seen the film, well, uh, shit. Then you've got uh, all that to look forward to, or uh, you have all that to to look back on, because I'm pretty sure that if you've already sat through it, <laughs> even, even if it was just that you went to it one time in the theaters during its uh, original run, it's probably still seared into your brain. But yeah, if you if you haven't seen it, then... For whatever reason, you decide to. Oh, shit. It's your funeral, man. But in the first few moments, we're thrown into the first real action that we've seen in in quite some time. Because, yeah, we've gotten quite a a few uh, lightsaber duels, but... Uh, they're so choreographed and, and oh, just so rehearsed that, shit, if I wanted to see something that was that move-for-move move, uh, predetermined, I'd probably watch today's wrestling. But, no, no. <laughs> this is actually the first, like I said, the first real action that we've gotten in the prequel. As we're thrown into a, a massive space battle taking place right over Coruscant between the Republic and the Separatists, which is a fight that originally, or at least reportedly, lasted about an hour and was at least trying to bring to mind 
the aerial dogfights of the originals, as the fans are uh, shamelessly pandered to in order to con convince us all that this is supposed to be an adventure worthy of the Star Wars name. While we don't know where we are or, or what ships belong to who in that moment when we first see it, you know, if, if we just go in there blind, we, we don't know any of that stuff. But even as we're sitting there, it's so wonderful that as they throw everything at us, including at one moment in time, if you're paying enough attention, an actual kitchen sink, well, eh, it's, it's safe to say that we fans just don't care, okay? For that one moment, we just don't, we don't care. And I didn't, I didn't either. Cause with the Jedi Knights all spread out across the galaxy and leading a massive clone army into battle, <laughs> with that context, <laughs> shit, this is just amazeballs, you know, at least the first time out it was. It's, it's just awe-inspiring. And, and, and that's the first time and only time that I will ever use those words to describe something good about the prequels. You know, in fact, that's that's the first time and only time I'm gonna say anything good about the prequels. I mean, I'm, I may have said something good about the last two. You know, you'll you'll have to go back and listen and spot check me. But uh, you know, if I said anything that was even slightly complimentary to the to the movies. It's probably just because I was drunk, but th this time, surprisingly enough, you've caught me uh, at a moment where I'm stone cold sober for the first time <laughs> when talking about these movies <laughs> in a while. But yeah, uh, as, as the Council and Senate have dispatched Hayden Christensen's Anakin and Ewan McGregor's uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, who is now pulling double duty as both a, a Jedi Master and a, a General to the Galactic Republic's clone army. Uh, as they dispatch them and uh, initiate a plan to rescue the kidnapped Supreme Chancellor Palpatine, played by the uh, incomparable and wonderful Ian McDermott, the only one who portrays one iota of passion as he almost makes it uh, easy to sympathize with his character is McDermott. But as they continue on their mission to almost eliminate the, uh, the fearsome cyborg separatist leader, General Grievous, who... Uh, for no reason whatsoever, has a heart and lungs or some sort of such nonsense, even though he's little more than a jacked-up droid. As they go after that mechanical heap of puffing and panting uh, scrap metal who was pretty much just there uh, for the mere fact that kids all over would... I just love such a cool-looking new toy to 
play with. But as they go after him, shit, that's as good as it gets, folks. And while, while I will say that it was indeed pretty cool, <sighs> throughout it all, it's still almost uh, impossible to tell who's who or what's going on <laughs> or to really care at all outside of that initial feeling of, whoa, sweet, when it comes to uh, anything after, right after the battle, you know, I mean, the the battle, yeah, that pretty much personifies the, uh, whoa, sweet feel, but, oh, hell, after that, it all kind of goes to pot, uh, but screw that noise, because after fighting buzz droids and infiltrating the flagship of Commander Wiesenkopf, who we're supposed to uh, be led to believe is is the head of the plot to kidnap and shit. Oh, who knows? Possibly even kill Palpatine. We're not quite sure just yet. But as they trek on to try and hunt down this uh, droid and save Palpatine, well... About the time that Obi-Wan and Annie finally get to the Chancellor, it's, it's about the time when the, the Jedi duo are confronted by Grievous's master, Christopher Lee's Count Dracula, I mean Dooku, Count, Count Dooku, who, mind you, is also Darth Tyrannus, and who engages them in a lightsaber duel, as, as the Chancellor tells them to go get help. As you've got to wonder uh, how much of a moron he's got to be not to realize that they're pretty much alone. So, <laughs> what kind of help does he expect them to get? I mean, shit, what help? Where? It's no wonder Kenobi shoots him a, a pompously arrogant and exaggeratingly uh, sarcastic response about Sith Lords being their speciality. <laughs> and for the brief moment that Dooku is on screen before his fatal three-way bout uh, goes horribly wrong, <laughs> eh, Let's chat about him for a moment, shall we? Because I want to enjoy Christopher Lee on screen as, as long as I can. Because in about a minute and a half, we won't really have the fucking chance, seeing as eh, he'll be Kaputskis. But Christopher Lee is born, or at least was born, to play pure evil, plain and simple. And yet, his ability is just wasted, as he only speaks a total of about four lines here. And, you know, then, oh shit, I don't know, another, I'll, I'll give him credit, five or six lines, maybe, maybe seven or eight in Attack of the Clones. So, uh, it, it's just an injustice to him. 
as an actor and, and to us as fans of, of not just him, but of good acting in general and of the, the franchise, seeing as it's pretty much the, the best acting in all of the prequels. So to, to give us just, just enough to keep us awake, it just, like I said, it's, it's an injustice. But after a nice little back and forth, Dooku quickly knocks out Obi-Wan. Uh, you know, just knocks him clean unconscious. After which, Anakin fights, you know, and, and contains. And, and then, at a moment even brutal for, for the man responsible for these crimes against cinema, <laughs> he, he beheads Dooku. At Palpatine's urging, which, like I said, as horrible of a crime as all of these uh, prequels are, to cinema and to humanity themselves, the fact that he has someone behead another in these movies. Shit. That's even brutal for George. But yeah, Palpatine kind of just goads him a little bit, and it doesn't take much for him to say, Shit, okay. And just go ahead and lob Dooku's head right off, thus signaling his descent into the dark side, you know, in a move that Dooku had to see coming, unless he was so dense that he and... He and his friend Robo-Wheeze didn't realize all the blatantly obvious signs that Palpatine and Sidious were one and the fucking same, and that they were pretty much just pawns. And you just, as he looks at Palpatine for just a moment before his head starts a-rolling, you have to believe that he was fully aware of who Palpatine and, and Sidious were, you know? That they were... Palpatine was Sidious. Sidious was Palpatine. Finkel is Einhorn. You know, I mean, he, he had to have known this stuff. But even if they realized one without figuring out the other, <sighs> to know his evil, uh, even, even if he didn't realize that Palpatine, who was looking on... Was, was truly his master. They had to know, or at least he had to know, that Palpatine would be capable of of discarding them like yesterday's pre- uh, uh, garbage. And really, it's not like it took much to persuade Anakin to go ahead and, and just kill him anyway. Did it now? No, it, it really didn't. <sighs> so much so that it kind of takes away from the feeling that he was pushed to the brink of insanity, even though uh, we've, we've got inklings of his dark side in, in the last, uh, well, probably, well, now, uh, movie and a half, because uh, a little more than halfway through uh, Clone Wars. That's when we started seeing just what Annie was made of, as he killed those who 
took and tortured his mommy. But yeah, that sort of just cold-blooded murder, you know, that off-the-cuff, literally uh, off-the-cuff moment, just takes such work and such time that they've already put into the character. And, and it replaces it with the feeling that he's pretty much been a psycho asshole from the start. Okay? But anywho, after Anakin subdues and then just completely offs Dooku, sending him to the great underdeveloped character heaven in the sky via a pretty sweet-looking beheading. Well, that alone could have been a pretty damned awesome moment that left us feeling like like the last two cases of Tubby Butt had actually been eh, slightly worth it. Anakin immediately goes into some sort of self-pity mode as he stands with his pal Palpatine, justifying his actions for him. As he uh, just rambles on and on about how he, he shouldn't have done that, which is a thought that should have occurred to him about uh, a minute and a half ago. But as he sits there doing so with about as much urgency as myself ordering a meat lover's pizza. After all that, they finally begin an escape. You know, and and during which, Palpatine tries to get our intergalactic Faustian to leave Obi-Wan's almost lifeless body, as they bicker uh, just long enough to give their evil little counterparts Time to set a trap, you know, and and capture all three, at least momentarily. But that is short-lived. And following a skirmish uh, with Grievous and a handful of droids who just can't seem to hit the broadside of a barn, yet who all still serve purpose by uh, at least delivering more feeling and emotion into their few lines than Hayden any any time anywhere in any of the prequels for any reason about anything. But yeah, as that skirmish ends and the one tin soldier rides away actually he urgently flees away like a cybernetic coward leaving the others to fly this uh, damaged pile of goods as it goes down in flames. But yeah, as that happens, and it's not just a clever euphemism about the movie, uh, the Jedi crash land Grievous's gigantic cruiser right onto Coruscant in a scene that makes no sense and only really highlights the weaknesses of whoever wrote this bunk as they worry about speeding up during a a re-entry that all science tells us would have actually slowed them down considerably. But once they're on the ground, actually, even on the ground, it all uh, sort of gets worse as we continue on down the road. You know, because Palpatine is welcomed back and Anakin finally gets uh, heralded as a hero, 
and reunites with his secret wife, Natalie Portman's Amidala, who, in a painfully forced lovey-dovey moment, as he shoots her yet a, another creepy Chester the Molester-like grin, which we thought we'd be done with by now. She reveals that she's pregnant. Spoiler alert! <sighs> Shut up. Isn't this all just spoilers by now? Fuck. And while he's initially excited upon hearing about his wife's pregnancy, Anakin soon begins to have premonitions of Chesty McChesterton dying in childbirth, giving him a, a new thing to constantly whine and worry about. Oh, which... I, I don't know if it's more the, the idea of losing her, or the fact that he knows that he'd be stuck with the little rugrats if that happened. But I mean, seriously, the moments when Anakin is just whining over and over, throughout not just this movie, but, you know, all three, or at least the two that Hayden is in, they're all just so damned repetitive that... It's fucking scary. Yet, because similar visions accurately foretold his mother's death, uh, he begins to fixate on this and swears up and down that he'll do whatever it takes to save her, even going as far as risking being found out by uh, going to Yoda for guidance in, in a powwow where... Even the curtain blinds are probably CGI. And this face-to-face -face, uh, really just serves no purpose other than to make him late for a meet-up with his brother from another mother. Obi-Wan to turn this shit off, who fills him in on the goings-on of the war and the Senate, who are expected to vote even more power to uh, the possibly evil Palpatine, who then, of course, they bicker about back and forth, and whose name, now that I think about it, sounds more like a hemorrhoid crane than an evil villain, if you ask me. But who's nitpicking other than me? But whatever. To the behest of Obi-Wan, fellow general, Sam Jackson's Mace Windu, who was probably brought back merely for uh, Sam's name recognition alone. Well, he and the rest of the council soon inform Anakin that Palpatine uh, has requested his, his little buddy Annie to be his eyes and ears on the Jedi Council as his representative. But Anakin, even though he's granted this, this wonderful opportunity, uh, they, they also have to let him know that he's still not granted the rank of Jedi Master. And while he's busy hemming and hawing over this news and whining even a little bit more about it, He's then informed by his bearded buddy that he's been unofficially asked by the council 
to secretly monitor the Chancellor, who the Jedi, <laughs> uh, they've been just a bit suspicious of the senile old prick. Ever since his doings in clones, as he almost single-handedly created the onset of the wars at hand. And, you know, they, they at least kind of see this. Which, eh, when it comes to the relationship between the Jedi and Palpatine, this doesn't sit right with the Jedi and, and begins to sour their relations. But yeah, they ask uh, Anakin to sort of go ahead and spy on him a little. Which, yeah, Anakin agrees to, albeit very, very reluctantly, as he feels it to be uh, completely unwarranted, uh, even to the point that he takes it a bit personally, but he's never failed old Ben before. So, of course, shit, he goes along with it. Why not? He's got nothing better to do, other than maybe, you know, Pick a crib up or something, you know. Who knows? <laughs> Find a paying job. Ah, fuck it. However, still frustrated about all that jazz and and being excluded from the council, Anakin begins to lose faith in the Jedi, and he soon, seemingly, starts to turn into the Darth that we all know and love as he becomes more attached to this space-aged geriatrics nightly whiplash, who he then runs to squeal to almost immediately, after making a, a short pit stop to probably, uh, yeah, whine just a little bit more to Padme as well. You know? And, I don't know... Seeing the little meet-and-greet that he has with Padme for a second, I can't help but think that... Is it really that he's... He's turning to the dark side, or... Is Anakin just a, a tad bit bipolar? You know? Uh, ponder that for a second. But as he finds Palpatine taking in some relaxation at a, an opera house in a, in a scene where George himself and uh, practically everyone else involved in the production of this uh, cinematic abortion, uh, you know, as they all make a cameo in the scene, Palpatine continues to fill the lad's head with notions of grandeur, manipulating young Skywalker's feelings to the fullest, in a way that would make Shakespeare's Iago jealous as fuck as he goes on and on and on about the Jedi and how they, they don't trust him and how all who gain power are afraid to lose it and how that even includes the Jedi. And, and he just goes on and on and on and on some more before they finally get to a more personal matter after taking a long route to get there. Because the matter at hand 
Padme. Uh, but more specifically, Anakin's dreams about her demise. Because Palpatine tells him that he's heard stories of one who used the dark side of the Force to control the power of death. A Sith Lord named Darth Plagueis the Wise. And, and while this is all supposed to show the beginning of the end for Anakin, as Darth Vader slowly murders the man known as Anakin Skywalker, I, I gotta say, this is far from the beginning of that shit. I mean, as I've already pointed out, it's less uh, uh, the beginning of the end, and more like smack dab right in the middle of it. I mean, come on. Because we saw him slaughter a whole damned village without so much as a thought. <laughs> I mean, shit. Uh, now that I think about it, <laughs> that whole <laughs> slaughtering a village thing. <laughs> I wonder how Padme felt when she realized she was pregnant. <laughs> Uh, probably not as stupid as she's gonna feel. <laughs> but anyway, whatever. Because as much as I could really just sit here for hours and, and nitpick about that until I'm just as blue in the face as I am in the balls, the Jedi Council is convening and they found that big old bucket of bolts from the onset of this thing. <laughs> General Grievous. So, of course, uh, before he can up and disappear again, shit, it doesn't take a brainiac to know that they've gotta just stop playing with their lightsabers in that cute little circle jerk they've got going, and they've gotta hurry up and act, damn it. And act they do. Cause they immediately send Obi-Wan to take that huffing and puffing bastard out of commission. Toot sweet, <laughs> whatever that means. And as he not so covertly makes his move by riding in on a giant bounding lizard that makes about as much noise, if not more, than I'm guessing that he was probably counting on. Because <laughs> that giant lizard uh, horse, or whatever the fuck it is, seems... <laughs> To possibly be even part retarded St. Bernard. But if the Jedi Council saw him at that moment, they'd probably begin to wonder if they sent the right dude. You know? But before he can really even get a chance to go and take old Bane, or, uh, uh, Grievous, and his cohorts out, we see the general, formerly known as Shilal, informing the rest of the Separatist leaders there that uh, he's, he's sending them all to the Mustafar system, which is probably for the best, seeing as not long after that, our friend Obi comes lumbering in on his brain-dead pup of a, a pony to take out the general and as many of his droids as he possibly can. And, and he does that 
pretty much in short order, you know? Because, I mean, the, the moment that he announces himself with a, a simple, hello there, shit's on, man. Shit's on. That's all I gotta say about that, so. Luck seemed to be on, on the rest of the Separatist side. <sighs> At least for now. <laughs> but with that, <laughs> and with four bright and shining lightsabers in his hand, you gotta wonder two things. How in the hell old Ben Kenobi is going to pull this one out of his ass? And with four giant lightsabers that he can just whip out in public like that, how popular is the general with the ladies, you know? But enough about that, because like I said, yeah, Obi-Wan uh, runs that mechanical maniac right through the heart, or... The lungs are whatever, because... And can I just say that this is a droid we're dealing with. What the fuck does he have lungs for? What, is, what does he got a heart for? What the fuck? Whatever. It's it's still pretty cool, regardless of of, of all that and of all, of all the obvious CGI effects that just <laughs> insult us and slap us in the face over and over repeatedly. Like the biggest, hairiest balls you've ever seen. And while he's busy with Grievous, though, <laughs> eh, his buddy Mace sends Obi-Wan's apprentice, or Padawan, <laughs> to go inform Senator Ovaltine, uh, Palpatine, no, no, you know what, I'm going to stick with Ovaltine, about the latest battle at hand. And while doing so, Anakin is in for a rude awakening. Just like we and the Force got a little under a year ago. Although, his awakening, truth be told, not as rude as ours. Because it's when he goes to visit his best pal that he suddenly realizes that Palpatine is more than likely Darth Sidious the one and only which I there's not I'm mean, granted they've never seen him so I guess there's that that's probably why but the fact that nobody realized that you know something's at least kind of up with Palpatine the fact that they didn't realize that until the very end you know I mean eh, shit oh Anakin was what? Like I said, eight, seven, something like that in, in that first movie? And in, in this one, he's got to be, oh, I'm going to guess at least early to mid-20s? You know, so the fact that all that time passed, <laughs> and <laughs> no one really even suspected a damn thing, uh, Ah, oh, shit. That says a lot about the Jedi and eh, just about everybody else. But yeah, he begins to consider the fact that maybe, uh, just maybe, uh, Palpatine might be the Sith Lord that the Jedi have been looking for. So, go figure. Right? But yeah, he realizes this, and like the little bitch that he is... 
immediately goes to run and tattle on the senator, to Master Windu. And I gotta wonder why. Because this man has been just whining and complaining and bitching and moaning for about oh, four hours damn near. You know, three and a half, whatever it's been. But one and a half movies worth, you know? He's just non-stop with it. So I gotta wonder why, if he's so damned convinced, so wholeheartedly, that none of the Jedi, uh, minus maybe Obi-Wan, <laughs> really give him a second thought and, and really trust him all that damn much. Considering this one fact, I, I just, I don't get why he goes to Sam, you know? <laughs> Mr. Jackson, if you're nasty. And tells him what he knows. You know, I mean, is he really all that hard up for attention and, and love and trust by just about any daddy figure that he can find? You know, is that really the case? Because, <laughs> if so, he really, he missed his calling as the, the perfect high school whore, you know? Just saying. But yeah, um, when he goes to see Mace, <laughs> Windu immediately says that they must move quickly. But <laughs> by they, <laughs> he apparently means him. And by quickly, <laughs> he means they should stroll leisurely. You know, maybe pick it up to a slight jog, but nothing more than that. Because he commands Anakin to stay his ass put while the big bad Jedi <laughs> go to take care of business, if you will. Their damn self. And as soon as he, like I said, leisurely strolls toward the last known whereabouts of the senator in an attempt to take him into custody. Shit's about to pick up, folks. Which... You know, I, I keep saying that, and then, yeah, it it never does. So, I mean, take that for the grain of salt that it is, and you be the judge. <laughs> but, yeah, when he gets there, I'm guessing that he begins to slightly regret the decision that he's he's really made in, in going it to, well, okay, not alone, because he's got three other Jedi with him. <laughs> But as soon as he gets there, and he finds that his posse goes down like a, uh, like a two-dollar whore, <laughs> and that now he's just a party of one as he goes mano y mano with the senator in a pretty sweet as shit lightsaber duel. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that he might regret it just a tiny bit, as far as the choice to leave Anakin right where he was. Because, yeah, I, I, I'd regret it just a tiny bit. But, yeah. Then again, Anakin would probably start to whine and moan and bitch and complain again. And then I wouldn't regret it so much. So, there's that. But, yeah. He and the Senator start going at it. Almost immediately. Which is pretty damn nice. You know, and there, there's not much yakety yak to deal with this time around. They just get to throwing hands or, <laughs> or uh, sabers. 
or at least uh, I think it's him in the center. Truth be told, <laughs> I can't tell, because really, it's just a McDermott stunt double and some poor bastard that they just uh, decided to plaster Palpatine's ugly mug right on top of, you know, superimposing his head on whoever the hell that is, his body. Via some of the shittiest CGI known to man. And that includes Jurassic World, okay? As, as the wannabe senator, or the guy that's supposed to be the senator, uh, proceeds to make some of the most absurd faces. Oh wait, no, that is the senator. I'll be damned. Yeah, no, the close-ups, that's him. Eh, wouldn't you know it. But anyway, McDermott makes some of the most damned absurd faces uh, you could ever imagine as he scraps with the, the Master Jedi. And just when it seems to be going in Windu's favor. Uh, not one to take orders and fucking listen for once in his life. <laughs> Anakin... Yeah, wrestles with the choices that he's made for all of about as long as it takes me to finish off a large fry from the Big M. Before he decides that, fuck it, and he's gonna go make his way toward the battle. And when he gets there, uh, day late and dollar short Skywalker takes everything out of context. Because, you know, why not? As he sees Mace standing over a seemingly defenseless old man in Palpatine, who just moments ago was was doing backflips and, and all somersaults when he was trying to hold his own against Mace. But yeah, he, he sees Windu standing over Palpatine, who he demands should be put on trial. But all this little back-and-forth lover's quarrel does between Master and the, the wannabe Master is give Palpatine a moment to muster his strength back and gather it up as he takes the very moment that Anakin uh, has his attention to begin to try and fire off some pretty sweet-looking force lightning right at Mace's face. But Anakin doesn't want any of this, so uh, he takes this moment to slice right through Windu's arm like a hot knife through butter, only to have his new uh, master and his, his BFF, Palpatine, Go ahead and send Windu right out the window and into the void in one of the cheesiest fucking deaths through, throughout the Star Wars universe. And that includes when they tried to make us think that Han didn't shoot first, which he did, okay? Fucking did. End of story. But now, with Mace out of the picture once again, and forever, possibly. Anakin immediately begins to regret his decisions and actions as the suddenly not weakened senator who was supposed to be uh, supposedly near death 
just a few breaths ago, with his face melting off like mozzarella. <laughs> anyway, he makes his way back to his feet and wastes no time in dubbing his young friend, now and forever, Darth Vader. And possibly one of the most anticlimactic christenings in cinematic history, which even as Darth Scrotus almost ruins it as he shows what I can only assume is possibly his O-face. Oh, 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 I feel the hate within you. It flows through you, gives you fall. As we anticipate the sound of a zipper, which never really comes, which hmm, I'm sure that's probably, uh, you know, something that the old man regrets, because I'm sure that, judging from the look on his face, not only does he want that zipper sound to come, but he also kind of wants to as well. But yeah, other than that one little factor... This moment is so damned awesomely legendary and long-awaited that right then and there, this fanboy was pretty close to doing exactly what the senator wanted to do. And I'm not afraid to admit that as bad as the, the rest of these prequels were, that one moment along with a very, 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 very small hand full of others, to their credit, actually made me feel real, raw, damned emotion, which kind of took me off guard in the theater, you know? It surprised me then, and... It still surprises me now, because even I'll admit that while it also may have been that I, I just wasn't nearly as jaded back then as I am today, in that moment, right there in my seat, I sort of wept, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm mad enough to admit it. I mean, I don't know if I would have called it weeping, really. But a tear did roll down my cheek, just as it did again at the end of the duel between Obi and Annie. In a moment involving a full-blown Vader as we have always, always known him shortly thereafter the duel. But yeah, I shed a tear. So, if you don't agree with me about how awesome that shit was, go fuck yourself with a lightsaber. Okay, <laughs> go take it bareback from a Wookiee. So, there you go. And with that, Vader is born as the wrinkled up old ball sack <laughs> that Annie Vader now calls Master. Sends his newest apprentice to lead a sort of eh, sneak attack on the Jedi Temple before heading off to the Mustafar system to deal with the, the last remaining Separatists who as I pointed out earlier, had been sent there. And as he does all this, about as... Eh, just about as quickly as you can say, Holy crud! Vader's killing again! Eh, then again, I suppose that uh, 
That is a mouthful, but yeah, just as quickly as you could say that, Anakin heads off with some clone soldiers as they march right up to the Jedi Temple and start dicing up just about anything that fucking moves. And the first thing that Anne sees that's fucking moving is a group of younglings hiding in fear. But all this fear leads to is death as Darth V for Vendetta ends the younglings' suffering by ending them all. And while he's taking out these pint-sized Padawans, Palpatine orders clone troopers everywhere to finally execute Order 66. Which, silly me, shit, I always thought that was orange chicken and combination fried rice. But here, we actually see that it's obviously, clearly, a directive to destroy any and all Jedi throughout the cosmos. So, eh, bummer for them. Because apparently Mace's whole I sense a plot to destroy the Sith thing. Eh, apparently for that from earlier, wasn't too far off. Uh, but no time to laugh about that now, because eh, the clones go about picking off Jedi one by one. And Jimmy Smith's seldomly used Senator Bail Organa barely escapes, getting a cap popped in his ass by a, a small handful of troopers before he escapes in his speeder to the sanctuary of, of one of the, if not the only actual full-blown set. In a quick scene aboard a ship that shit, looks awfully familiar. But that, that could just be me. No, wait. Shit. That's the fucking ship from the beginning of Vote New Hope. I'll be damned. Eh, fuck. Anyway, we see now that Obi-Wan and Yoda are two of, if not the only two remaining Jedi in the galaxy left alive. So, of course... Uh, with Bale and Obi and Yoda, you know, with all of them alive, it apparently sounds like a good idea to make sure that they're all in the same damn spot. Because apparently that's the, the easiest and best way not to be found or, or something as Anakin heads to Mustafar. And while he's in route, the small do-gooding trio led by Yoda now head off to to the sieged temple to try and dismantle a signal, attempting to lure any and all still loyal to the Jedi into a, a would-be trap and probably, more than likely, an assassination. So isn't that special? And as Sidious's new apprentice touches down on the volcanic planet to chop through the last of the, the Separatists, who all seem to know his name, even though his master, if you go back just a few seconds, never mentioned it while only calling him his new apprentice. And as a special session of the Senate, 
is now called into order. Like I said, shit's beginning to really pick up and, and reach the height of Star Wars at its best. Or at least the prequels at their best. Which I know isn't saying a lot, but it's not that surprising that uh, things finally get good, really. Because right about now, we're reaching the, the last fourth of the movie. So, we've sat through more than our fair share of crap by now. Let's see here, I mean, because each, each movie is uh, two hours, if not two and a half hours long. So, we'll just say two hours. Just, just to be conservative. <laughs> the only time I'm going to be considered conservative in my life. But... That means that we've sat through five hours, if not more, of this crap. So yeah, we've, we've done our part. And to not reward us for it, it would just seem a little bit cruel, okay? So yeah, the, the new emperor overthrows the senate and creates the first galactic. Empire! Oh, sorry. Uh, the First Galactic Empire. <sighs> Democracy dies with thunderous applause, and Obi and his big-eared, baby-shit, green, little midget of a friend arrive at the temple they once considered sanctuary as they shred their way through. Uh, a pretty good slew of stormtroopers, actually. And once safe and sound, or at least relatively, Obi-Wan, well, remember when Curiosity killed the cat? <laughs> Kenobi can't help but take a glance at security footage to see just who took down the younglings and all their other confidants. And at this moment... <laughs> When discovering Anakin's treachery, Obi and Jedi Master Yoda, once again voiced by uh, the wonderful Frank Oz, if I haven't mentioned that before. Which, you know, when I think about the fact that Yoda and Miss Piggy were voiced by the same guy, that's a mindfuck if, if I've ever seen one. But yeah, as they decide to split up and simultaneously confront Vader and Sidious, up shit creek without a paddle due to not wanting to hear any of Obi-Wan's reasoning that Anakin has turned to the dark side and is killing younglings left and right, even though she knows he's very capable of doing just that, because he's confessed right to her face in doing as much just uh, at the very end of that last movie. Well, Jugs McCoy travels to Mustafar to see it with her own eyes. Which, you know, that's just a stupid-ass move, because... If I knew that someone I knew was killing women and children, killing anyone, I'd stay away from that shit. But, eh, she decides that she hasn't gotten anything better to do today, so what the hell. But as she rushes to find the man that she loves, 
Yoda searches out for the man that he's come to loathe. And they duke it out just about everywhere in the building. Not exactly head-to-head, -head, mind you, thanks to Yoda's height, but eh, maybe toe-to-toe -to -toe at least. In a battle so legendary that it only ends with both Yoda and the Emperor completely drained of energy and power. As an injured Yoda attempts to swallow a near defeat, and the fact that he must flee to survive. And as he retreats, Knockers McBoingBoing finally arrives on Mustafar. Although it may be Nevada, I really can't tell, but wherever she is, it's only when there that she discovers what Annie Vader indeed has done even though uh, she knows exactly what he's capable of. But, eh, like any good woman, <laughs> she wastes no time trying to bring her homicidal, genocidal boo right back to the light. <laughs> eh, that's a fight she won't win, but anyway, upon catching the eye of a stowaway Obi-Wan... <laughs> Annie, uh, Vader, I, you know what, I don't know what to call him anymore. Vader accuses her of trying to betray him and uses the Force to chokestroke her right into unconsciousness. Which, considering she's the only reason he had in turning to the dark side to begin with, <sighs> you know, it makes me ponder... <laughs> What in the bright blue hell it could have been that he did to make Padme fall head over heels for him to begin with? I mean, like, like I said before, it's either that he is a cunning linguist or his lightsaber must be insane in bed or shit, I don't know, but anyway... He chokes her out and causes Obi-Wan to finally engage him in a fierce duel that is the first on-screen fight between the two in over 20 years. And actually, since this is supposed to have taken uh, place before that first duel, I guess you could possibly even make the uh, argument that this is the first fight ever as it only ends with uh, Obi-Wan gaining the high ground, which directly results in him <laughs> then severing an overly confident Vader's legs and, uh, and left arm, leaving him to die after allowing him to fall down into the nearby volcanic river's edge, allowing the meat on his bones to get that nice smoky flavor. <laughs> And Obi-Wan then picks up his former apprentice's lightsaber in disgust. And like I said before, in this very moment, as he goes on to the, the whole, You were my brother, Anakin! That, that whole thing. I mean, shit, that whole scene. Like I said, I'm, I'm not afraid to admit it. I fucking cried, so apparently there is a heart in there somewhere.
But yeah, he, he takes his lightsaber and just kind of walks off. Only to give it to Luke <laughs> near the start of a, a New Hope. You know, which, which also means that in A New Hope, Darth is pretty much meeting up with the man responsible for turning him into a mech man after leaving him scarred thanks to their last meeting. So, yet, while that may all be well and good and cool, it all seems to be a, a catch-22 as, thanks to this one fight, the dialogue within the fight between Alec Guinness and uh, the fully developed Darth now makes no damn sense. But there will be plenty of time to weep openly about that and discuss it. Much later. Well, not much later, because shit. The real fun starts next episode. I mean, this was... This, this all... The last three episodes were... I guess you could just say the appetizer, so... <laughs> uh, fooled you! Uh, anyway, meanwhile on Polis Massa or... Shit, I don't know where the fuck they are. Anyway, Cupcakes LaRue and her uh, boobdy twins <sighs> give birth to their own twins. <laughs> Luke and Leia. And with her dying breath... Padme tells Obi-Wan that there is still good in Vader. In a moment where we are led to believe that while this is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, focusing on a people that are far beyond any technological breakthrough that we've seen thus far on Earth, apparently they've never heard of a simple damned C-section or any sort of procedure that could have saved Padme. Because she's going to die of a broken heart. Or, I, 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 you know, that's, that's just the stupidest damn thing I've heard. And that's saying something, considering I've just gone through all three prequels. I mean, what kind of crock of donkey jizz is that? I mean, she dies of a broken heart? <laughs> Unable to find the will to live as she gives birth to her own children? Shh, fuck, I mean, isn't that just kind of a tad bit of a, a slight to Luke and Leia? <laughs> just saying. Meanwhile, Darth Nutty McBallbag finds Vader barely alive on Mustafar and brings him back to Coruscant to rebuild his apprentice and his charbroiled body with cybernetic limbs and the use of a, a respirator, all in the mix within a, a scene that almost serves as a, a perfect way to visually describe how we all felt while having to watch this thing as the robotic medics continuously poke and prod Anakin's still smoldering wounds. I mean, I know if there was ever a visual metaphor for how I felt watching these prequels, eh, that scene pretty much covers it up. But tormented by the idea of Padme's death at his own hands, when we finally see the first scene 
in what seemed like an eternity between a fully developed Vader and a fully developed Emperor. For the first time suited up with the same actor who played Anakin within the armor, even if it meant altering it all to correctly fit the scrawny turd. <sighs> well, <laughs> Vader bursts forth emotionally, <laughs> draining the last uh, vestige of humanity from his core in a moment right out of a Frankenstein movie, with him, of course, playing the part of Frankenstein's monster. But soon... <laughs> He's all cried the fuck out as Vader begins to supervise the Death Star's construction at his new master's side. As a funeral is held below for his now uh, very ex-wife. And now that her twins must remain hidden from the Empire, Jimmy Smits's Senator Bale adopts Leia and takes her to Alderaan while Luke is to be taken to his stepfamily in Tatooine. Which, like I said before in the last one, after that first meeting they had, if I had been Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, I would have just tried to hide in their little hut and say, Ah, no, 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 Mr. Bin no here. So... But Yoda teaches Obi-Wan how to commune with the spirit of Qui-Gon Jinn before going into exile on the swampy land of Dagobah and leaving him to take the infant Luke to Tatooine and give him to his aunt and uncle and watch over him until the time comes that uh, it is right to challenge the Empire years later. But for now... And until we sweep up uh, the released two-disc uh, DVD for our collection and add to the 850 million worldwide that it made uh, as the top film, as I said, in 2005, well, our journey now has come to a slight halt. Thank God. Because next time that we meet up... Happy days are here again, because we're going to be covering New Hope through the eyes of a fanboy. But, yeah, <laughs> we finally get to the, the original trilogy, because I know that uh, this hokiest of, of cinematic hoke may have caused uh, economic experts to approximate that uh, the, the U.S. economy would end up losing 600 million or more in lost productivity because of employees uh, reporting falsely in to work as being sick before heading off to the AMC or God knows where to watch this thing. But, hmm, uh... Whereas they've lost uh, that productivity, I refuse to lose any more, because I'm done with this damn thing, finally. At least the prequels. I refuse to spend any more money and any more time on those fuckers. 
Because, yeah, the, the critics <laughs> considered this one the best of the prequels. But being the best in the prequels means absolute damn diddly bullshit. Because <laughs> that's like saying skin cancer is, is quite possibly uh, the best one to get. But I mean, shit. The outcome is still the same. It's still a deadly sickness. And that's all these prequels were. But yeah, I mean, shit. Saying, oh, it's, it's the best of the prequels. It's like saying, eh, this bowl of shit just doesn't smell nearly as bad as the others. I mean, it was still absolutely astonishingly atrocious. But, whatever. Because as I said earlier, the end is finally nigh. And we are finally done. Or at least we could have been, because George sold the rights. And we've been dealt Episode 7. And soon we're going to be dealt Rogue One, which I can only hope doesn't suck. But then after that, we'll have Episode 8 and 9 and the... Han Solo uh, spinoff with someone that doesn't look a damn thing like Han Solo, so... Curse you, Disney! But yeah, there's gonna be more. So, But, when it comes to how to fix this damn movie... Oh, shit. I know I really didn't cover how I figured that they could go ahead and try and fix the last one either, so let me try to make up for that by covering both right here, right now, at the same fucking time. Shall I? Because right offhand, less CGI and more real effects, okay? And that just doesn't go for the last two. That goes for all three prequels. But yeah. And just go ahead and push backspace or delete or whatever have you uh, on all of Obi-Wan's uh, little sulking moments that uh, just kind of sprout up every once in a while. And show more of his reckless choices, you know, some risk-taking. Because the end of his journey is that of a wise old man who accepts whatever fate brings him. And, you know, we need to see more of that journey, in a way. We should be seeing him earn that growth. At least just a little bit. Don't have him go through all of it in the prequels. But show him slowly earning that growth. So that way, by the end of that movie, by the end of Revenge... We see a glimmer of that growth. Because that would only magnify over the years. So we don't want to see him go from, from zero to Ben in, in 2.5 seconds. Or in this case, 2.5 movies. But we still need to see him at least slightly earn that growth throughout these last two movies. Especially after Qui-Gon gets offed, okay? So, yeah. And can I get some clear-cut conflict within this movie? Just 
anywhere. I mean, that that's not something that's just explained to us, but shown. I mean, not just inner conflict, but conflict between any any two characters. I mean, preferably Anakin and Obi-Wan, because you have absolutely no conflict between the two. I mean, come on, just give me something to hold on to that makes me really, really buy that last duel. I just, I want to see them butt heads throughout the last two movies just a little bit more. So that way, you actually buy the hatred instead of just being told that Anakin hates him. Because as is, he just seems like a typical emo uh, teenager who's you know a little bipolar and really i need i need something more <laughs> uh, you know whether whether it be him or kylo ren that whole emo depressed teenager bit <laughs> that's just a slightly bit special or off i i don't buy that kind of person is someone i'm supposed to be afraid of you know the the biggest, baddest bastard in, in all the galaxy. I just don't see someone with those traits as being that guy. You know, maybe, again, maybe it's just me. So, you know, you may not agree with it, but that's how I feel. And can we get some kind of... I, I touched on it earlier, but this is really the only other point that I can really think to make that would make any of this watchable, which is kind of why I held off on on trying to fix these. But can we get a little bit less of the whole feeling that really all these three are is a trilogy about an old man that's trying to prank his friends? Because <laughs> Palpatine, uh, shit, that sometimes he almost comes off as someone who's who's saying these words, you know, like that scene in the opera. He's talking to Anakin, but his eyes really just say, you don't see what I'm doing here? You you don't get it? God, are you dumb. You're all just a bunch of morons. I mean, he reveals, without really actually saying the words, but he all but reveals the whole damn thing. To Anakin, well, basically watching a space movie that is just total visual nonsense, or a space opera, which most uh, critics actually call Star Wars a space opera. But they're sitting there watching this thing, and he all but makes a face that says, How do you not get that I'm fucking with you all? I mean... The prequels are just one big prank. And that's one of the reasons that the only way to fix them is to burn uh, at least 75 to... Well, shit, that's being nice. 85 to 90% of these fuckers. That's the only way to fix them. I'm just giving you little bits, you know? I mean, less CGI, more conflict, more actual sets... And, uh, let's see here, showing a little bit more of Obi-Wan's journey, because 
You know, I mean, we would have gotten the point if there was a lot more Obi-Wan and a lot less Anakin. You know, have Anakin and Padme also be the side pieces, you know, the bit players that the Counts also should have been throughout this whole thing, you know. Dooku and and Grievous, uh, although uh, he, he wasn't exactly a Count, but still, he counts. Yeah, I guess he shouldn't, but he does. He counts. And even though I say that there should be more conflict between Obi and Annie, that also needed to be magnified and blown up, if you will, and, and just thrown in our faces while not being thrown in our faces at the same time. Which, what I mean by that is that in the last one, Another way to try and fix things. Well, really, there needed to be less of what the Clone Wars were and more about (laughs) what happens during the Clone Wars, you know? Show much less of the lead-up to the wars, which, you know, I mean, yeah, still cover the assassination plot, still cover the clone facility, Still cover Dooku a little bit, but focus more on Sidious, more on the Jedi Council and Obi-Wan, and all the while, speed it up so that way we actually get to the wars about halfway through the movie. And in that half, and even before that really, but throughout the whole movie, especially at the last half, show our duo as friends because much like a lot of this shit i'm tired of being told and once in a while i'd like to be shown you know because yeah you keep telling us they're friends they're friends they're friends but i don't see i i look back at any of my lifelong friendships that i've ever had And I don't see a damn bit of evidence that these fuckers are friends. (laughs) Other than eh, little glimpses here and there. Very little glimpses. And then the whole, (laughs) you were the chosen one. So yeah, show them as brothers. Show them as friends. Show them (laughs) during all the times that Anakin apparently had Obi-Wan's back. Because... They touch on that for all of about, oh, I'd say eight seconds during the beginning of this fucker. But, again, seeing as as opposed to being told. I mean, how many times and how many ways can I fucking say it? So, yeah, there it is. And, really, I I don't know what else you could do as far as the whole thing of this damn movie seeming like one big prank on Palpatine's part, because covering them like I have in the last couple of weeks, I'm not completely convinced that they weren't just supposed to be one big prank on George's part, you know? Kind of a way of saying, uh, you've, you've asked for it time and time again, so uh, here you go. But I'm not convinced that it wasn't just one big prank. And because of that, 
I'm not covering this one more second. So, if you like episodes like this or any of my other segments, you know, my best of the worst of wrestling or the good, the bad, and the fugly, any of them, go to my Patreon page and, uh, you know, uh, support the show. But if you if you don't do that, and if you can't help support the show in, in any other way, just keep coming back every other week. And I promise to keep spitting these things out for you if you come back. You have my word. You do your part and come back to me. <laughs> I'll give you anything you want. And, and on that note, uh, let me know what you want. Find me on any given social media, you know, on Twitter at FickleFanboyRPM, or uh, on Instagram at, uh, at the Fickle Fanboy Podcast. Find me anywhere. Message me. Comment on, on any of my tweets or any of my messages. Just <laughs> hunt me down and tell me what you want. Is there a movie you want me to cover? I'll do it. Is there a pay-per-view you want me to look back on uh, for all you wrestling fans? I'll do it. Let me know. You know, questions, arguments, anything. Come at me. Come on. I'll be here. But until the next time, and until we finally get to a new hope, I'll be seeing you. <laughs>